You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. What's up, guys? Welcome into Good Morning Lambo. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. You can email us, Packers Total Access at gmail.com. You can text us 865-658-5824. I'm rolling solo this morning. Tim's still under the weather, trying to give him some space, let him heal up a bit. Uh, Tis the season, right? It looks like it's going to be another cold one up there in Green Bay. I think they got a chance for flurries. I know down here we woke up and it was in the 20s. Uh, We got a Got a lot of weather getting ready to push through. I got to be real with you. It's looking like rain, but I'm hoping that cold front pushes down here and we get us a ton of snow, man. There's nothing better than getting out and playing around in the four by four in the snow for sure. That's just uh, something we do down here. It's either you get one of two people in the south. You get people like that, that when it snows, it's, hey, let's go hunting. Let's go camping. Let's get out in the four wheel drive. Let's have some fun. And you get the others that rush to the store and look for the milk and bread. Right. And I know uh, Emilio's probably watching this from work right now. And he's going, man, the milk and bread <laughs> down here. I'm just telling you, man, the shelves get cleared quick. But I want to give a shout out to the chat real quick. We got Drew D in here. Got Boz in the house. Jen Wright. I apologize if I miss someone. I know we got a herd of people in here. I just want to give a quick little shout out. Doug in the house. Let's see. Donovan Schilling in here. We got Chris up in the house. We got Mike Berry. Jim Tyson. Good to see you all this morning. Cheesehead Murph. What's up, buddy? All right. Good deal, good deal. Let's uh, let's get this party cranking, man. I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about a little bit about the uh, the quote unquote weapons. I like using the word weapons because it pisses people off, and uh, <laughs> I'm just going to continue to do it. But uh, talking about the wide receivers and the tight ends, and and we'll specifically hit on the wide receivers, I believe, more than the tight ends. But you can't talk about pass catchers for the Green Bay Packers without mentioning Tucker Craft. Um, just uh, having a phenomenal. Uh, a phenomenal year, really. I mean, seeing that he's had kind of a limited amount of uh, of targets, if you will, I think he's he's over 30 now. I think he's at 38 targets, if I remember correctly. We're going to dive in. I'm going to try to cover it from every angle. You know, I just had a conversation on Twitter. Some people like to just focus on stats to kind of to kind of uh, build a narrative around their their opinion, I guess you could say, right? Like if you got a point you want to prove, you go, okay, let me find some stats to prove that point. And then you'll only share those stats and be like, oh, look here, I told you. Uh, what we like to do on here is we like to cover PFF, 
right? Because PFF, they've got a whole group of guys that are kind of grading the tape themselves, right? We like to watch the tape ourselves and do an episode of Chalk Talk to just kind of talk about the key plays. And and I feel like by focusing on the key plays and maybe those explosive plays on scoring drives and vice versa, maybe a, a sack or an interception that ended a drive on the defensive side of the ball, um, I think you kind of get the story of here are the players who are rising up and making a true difference in the game, right? Um and then, you know, rather than just getting lost in a bunch of stats, but we'll focus on PFF, we'll hit on SIS data, and we'll look at some overall stats as well, just to kind of get all the bases covered. But before we do this and before I kill my camera, I'm going to play a quick video from Packers Daily where they're kind of talking about just – it's real quick, like one or two minutes uh, from the Minnesota Vikings game and kind of keying in on, on some of the pass catchers, specifically Jaden Reed and Bo Melton. Let's hit it. dynamic rookie out of Michigan State, Jaden Reed. The game's not too big for him. When he came in with the right mindset, he's a guy that likes to be challenged. He's a baller. He, he goes out there in the game, and he's a playmaker. Lost the right side. Reed. Yes, he's got it. Gives to Reed around the right end. He's got a running roll to the house for the touchdown. Jaden Reed, a weapon and a half or what? Right corner of the end zone. Toe tap, touchdown. He looks like the most pro-ready draft choice they have, and he certainly lived up to that oh, moment. The numbers are more reflective of him making the most out of his opportunities. You know, he's got a very bright future. Down he's the got middle, him. got his man. Touchdown! Jaden Reed, who just broke the rookie receiving record. He is dominant here tonight. The sensational rookie season rolls on for Jaden Reed. Now with 60 receptions on the year, he's the new franchise record holder for catches by a rookie, passing Sterling Sharp's 35-year-old mark. The second rounder wasn't the only receiver to make a splash on New Year's Eve. Bo Melton became the first Packers wideout to surpass 100 yards in a game this season. He throws off his back foot right side of the end yes! Touchdown! Bo Melton! It's always a next man up mentality. And Bo's been a guy who's been working every week, even when he's not been in the role. Um, he's working on scout team, trying to find ways to get better. Um, and it's not a surprise to anybody why he goes out there and does what he does. Just an unbelievable attitude. He's been team first all the way. Just really happy for him, man, because he's, he's earned it. Man, I tell you, that's, that's exactly what the Packers needed this week, in my opinion. Um, Coming off of the whole Jair Alexander thing, right? And you sit him down, and and I know I can't remember who it was that shared. It. I think it was Drew, Drew D in the chat, shared on Twitter with me a video of Shannon Sharp and Ocho Cinco, Chad Ocho Cinco, talking about Jair Alexander, and they they seem to believe that he's not going to be on the team next year. That this was kind of a all right, look, let's sit him down, let him cool off, finish the season, and then trade him in the offseason. I don't know if I'll go that far in saying that that would happen, but. Um, as far as the culture on the team, what Matt LaFleur said just now, right, um, and talking about Bo Melton and being like, okay, you know, he's you're not going to find a better attitude on the team. He's just a hard worker. He, he's earned it. Think of the message throughout the locker room. Last week you said a guy who, who you know, everyone I think would agree was kind of putting himself before the team. Not everyone maybe, and that's okay. We can agree to disagree. So you said send that message, and everybody was so worried about the locker room. Fast forward to after the Minnesota game and look at the defensive side of the ball and how many people were, were bragging on Joe Barry for the scheme, right? So you go from one guy complaining about the scheme, saying, hey, we just got to run the play that's called, to 
a handful of guys in the locker room after a huge win, arguably the biggest win of the year, right? Um, talking about and bragging on the DC's play caller. So you kind of see a shift in the locker room a bit, right? And then you got Bo Melton, who goes out there and just absolutely balls out, leads the lead, or leads the team in in receiving yards, gets him a touchdown. And what does Matt LaFour say at the press conference? Again, what do we always say? When the coaches are at the press conferences, they're yes, they're speaking to the media, but they're really speaking to their team. It's an op- the great coaches understand it's an opportunity to speak directly to your team. And the message that Matt LaFour sent was, "Hey, this dude's worked his tail off. He's 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 worked for the opportunity, and that's why we gave it to him." Essentially, you're seeing that culture kind of shift, right? And and what that message sends to the other guys is, look, it doesn't matter how good you are, where you were drafted, how much you're getting paid. If you don't put the team first, we don't need you. It's that simple. And if you do put the team first, it doesn't matter where you're drafted. doesn't matter how much we're paying you. We're going to reward you. And you kind of seen that with Bo Melton. I'm not suggesting that this was some master plan by Matt LaFleur and Brian Gouda because, hey, we need let's go out there and highlight Bo Melton so we can prove a point. I'm just simply saying it's a byproduct of making that decision early on to suspend Jair and then turn right around and be able to maximize the result of Bo Melton, a bottom bottom of the roster guy who's been elevated from the practice squad three times now, and they signed him to the active roster to say, look, if you are a team player and you work your rear end off, you're going to get opportunities. Not only are you going to get opportunities, you're going to be highlighted. Um, I think it's just a, I think it's a good move all the way around. Again, I don't, I'm not going to go as far as to say this was a master plan by the coaching staff in the front office, but I think they maximized the result of that big win there in Minneapolis. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's just kind of just kind of speaking, you know, uh, talking out loud, I guess you or uh, thinking out loud, I should say. Um, that's kind of how I see it. But as far as Tucker Craft, man, I, I want to kind of dive into him and then Jaden Reed a little bit more as well. Um, I'm, I'm going to try to keep my eyes on the chat, guys. I apologize if I overlook some of that, but when I when I'm flying solo, unless y'all want a bunch of dead air, it's it's hard for me to continue talking and looking at the chat. But I'll try to go back through there occasionally. But again, this picture of Tucker Craft, man, can't show it enough. Just a phenomenal play. Him going up the sideline, stiff arm, and this poor Minnesota Vikings guy. It, Tucker Craft has has rejuvenated me when it comes to this offense. Like. I'm so excited about this young offense, and I feel like it kind of started when Tucker Kraft stepped into the lineup. That's not to knock Luke Musgrave at all, right? I think Luke Musgrave was having a solid rookie campaign. You guys know I pointed out some of the statistics. His receiver rating was one of the highest on the team uh, before he got hurt. So I think Luke Musgrave is going to be a vital part of this organization moving forward. But there's something about Tucker Kraft and his attitude. When you talk about culture and, and, and that tweet, that quote that we – continue to show week in and week out, right, um, of him in the locker room saying, I'm just going to play for my coaches, I'm going to play for my teammates. That stuff matters. He's been a spark plug for this offense. And some of these stats, some of these numbers I'm going to run down, some of these grades and, and uh, advanced you know, analytics, I think they're going to be pretty, uh, pretty shocking to you. I know it shocked some people on Twitter. Excuse the silence for just a second. This heater is killing me. Just one more. I was over here cooking like a hen, let me tell you. All right, so Tucker Craft, receiver rating. Let's start there. This is really, really cool. Man, it is hotter than a $2 pistol in here now. I've, I've messed up. I'm going to be sweating the rest of the show. <laughs> 26 degrees outside, and I'm sweating. Those are obesity problems, my friends. Um, so receiver rating, four tight ends across the league, right? These are the top 12. 
Just grabbed a screen grab. This is according to SIS, okay? To the best of my knowledge, it's been completely updated. Anytime I share SIS uh, data, I don't know exactly when they're updated. So sometimes the number might be a few days late or a few days. I may be a few days early before the update. That's totally cool because to me, the, the analytics, the data here on this website are so advanced that you're always going to get the up-to-date information as much as possible. But receiver rating for tight ends, number one is Mark Andrews, number two, George Kittle, number three, Isaiah Likely. Keep in mind, a minimum target amount of 30, okay? So I sorted by minimum targets 30 to kind of filter out some of the eight targets, the six targets, the 10 targets, right? So this is a pretty good sample size. Isaiah Likely, uh, third at 123.3. Tucker Craft comes in at number four at 116.1. So according to receiver rating, which essentially is the equivalent of passer rating for quarterbacks, it's just for tight ends and wide receivers, he is the fourth most efficient tight end in the entire National Football League. Above Kate Otten, the golden boy Sam Laporta, Cole Komet with the Bears, Hunter Henry with the Patriots, Travis Kelsey, or as, as we should say there, uh, Travis Swift uh, in Kansas City. Johnu Smith with the Falcons, who's kind of had his career rejuvenated down there um, after he left New England. Noah Gray with the Chiefs, their second tight end. He's gotten 34 uh, targets now. And then TJ Hawkinson of the Vikings, who I think we would all agree he's had a pretty good year before he blew his knee out. So Tucker Craft, it's, it's no longer a small sample size, guys. I mean, you're talking about 32 targets, and you're the fourth highest receiver rating amongst tight ends in the league. You're probably going, well, what goes into that? I'll tell you one factor that's huge is the drops. Drop percentage with a minimum of 30 targets. There's only three tight ends in the entire National Football League that's yet to have a drop. Those names are Mike Gusecki of the Patriots, Adam Troutman of the Broncos, and Tucker Craft of the Packers. He hasn't had a single drop all year. Now, immediately people will say, oh, you're going to jinx him. I want to be completely upfront with everybody who listens to this show. I do not believe in jinxes. I don't. I'm not a superstitious person. I, I, as a matter of fact, I giggle at people who are. <laughs> so, with that being said, he may have a drop this week. And I know there'll be people go, Clayton, this is your fault. You continue to believe that. <laughs> but it, the, the reality is he's got to drop a pass sometime. And history suggests it'll probably happen this weekend. If he has two drops this weekend, it's not the end of the world. Because it just shows you how sure-handed he was. You know, when he come out of college, he played at a small school, right? We knew he was an athletic specimen. I think everyone would agree we thought he's going to be more of an inline tight end, one of these guys that he can kind of play attached, bully people a little bit, got to work on his technique, blocking and all that. I don't think anyone said, hey, this guy right here, he's going to lead the league in drop percentage, you know, and not have any drops throughout his first 32 targets, have a completion percentage of 68.8 when he's targeted on target catch percentage of 90.5. Like everything about him screams he's a true tight end. And the damage he does with the ball in his hands, as we look back at this picture, (laughs) that's what he does well. These little leaks, these little sits, these these shallow crossers, he can catch the ball and, and literally just put his head down and get another five to seven yards. That's so underrated throughout the league. And by the way, those retro Jordan cleats, yeah, those go hard right there, man. I just noticed that. I'm pretty sure those are retro Jordans. That's what they look like. Woo! Ain't no, there isn't a better cleat in the NFL than the retro Jordans. Um, but again, Tucker Craft, man, I think he's turning heads. I think it's going to be really, really fun to see him progress. 
Let's go to PFF. Some guys are going, all right, forget the stats for a second, Clayton. What's PFF say? This is where it tells the rest of the story, and it's why we like to cross-track. We, we like to we like to kind of uh, cross-examine, if you will, different aspects of the game, okay? his According to PFF, he's the 33rd highest-graded tight end in the league. Now we're getting to the point, you know, normally we go, well, it's a small sample size. Now we're getting to the point where, okay, this is a decent sample size. Luke Musgrave actually grades out 32nd. Tucker Graft grades out 33rd. Now, when you look at it and go, okay, what's bringing him down? It's definitely his run blocking. Tucker Craft's pass blocking has been decent at 67.3. Okay. His run blocking, 49.6. Luke Musgrave is the opposite. His pass blocking was 45.7. His run blocking is 58.6. So you're kind of seeing where their strengths and weaknesses lie, right? And you know what they need to work on as we head into their sophomore season here, you know, going into offseason training and all that stuff. So just wanted to kind of point out receiver rating. I think he's fourth. He's leading the league with zero drops, and PFF has him somewhere around 33, which is right around that starting caliber tied in, especially seeing that that many teams run a, a lot of 12 personnel. We're mostly in 11 personnel, but you got to call it how you really see it, right? And PFF is suggesting, hey, look, he's right there on a the borderline as a starting caliber tied in. What it tells you now is, okay, if, if PFF is grading him out there, then Clayton, why is he so high in the other metrics? I think he's a baller. I think he's a guy that when his when his number's called, he's not rattled. The game's not too big for him. He's not going to drop the pass consistently, right? He's going to turn up field and look to get that extra yardage. He puts pressure on the defense from underneath. You want to know why Jaden Reed was so you know wide open, running butt naked through the trailer park on that on that post pattern against the Tampa two defense in, in, in Minnesota? It's because they're having to focus on people like like Tucker Craft underneath, where it's an easy completion get five, six, seven yards after the catch and move the sticks, right? He's another another metric for him was he's got one of the highest first down percentages on the team as well. So meaning when he touches the ball, he gets a first down. That puts stress from underneath and opens things up over the top. Early on in the year, what was the problem? We couldn't hit on anything over the top, right? Jordan was late getting to his check downs early on along with accuracy issues. Now he's getting to the check downs on time, on, I mean, damn near immaculately. And his accuracy has improved. And now you're seeing Tucker Craft emerge as this underneath target while you've got Jaden Reed over the top. You've got um also, you know, Romeo Dobbs being able to hit being able to hit the uh the bunkers on the sideline with those those hole shots on the nine fades when you're running a snag concept or a little hoss concept, whatever it may be. You've got those guys kind of stretching the field vertically, and that stuff's starting to open up because you've got people like Tucker Craft underneath. Another one's Dontavian Wicks. There's nothing more dangerous with this offense than Dontavian Wicks running a little slurl, a little spot concept, sitting down, catching the ball, breaking three tackles, and gaining 20 or 30 yards after the after the catch. I can't wait to get him back on the field. The thing that we need to realize, I think, as a fan base, at least I'm coming to the realization, is there's a good chance, there's more than a good chance of Dontavian Wicks and Jaden Reed being your number one and number two receiver next year. That's how much they've separated themselves. I believe that. Romeo Dobbs is very steady. Romeo Dobbs has stayed healthy. That's absolutely huge. You can't make in the club the, the club in the tub. We talk about it all the time. The two most important abilities is availability and accountability. That's Bill Belichick 101. Romeo Dobbs has made himself available, right? Christian Watson, unfortunately, he's had a had tough luck with the injuries. Can't wait to see him healthy, and he's going to add a lot to this offense. But when you look at kind of what they're doing on a per attempt basis when their numbers are called, you can't 
you can't just shoot Jaden Reed and Dontavian Wicks. Let's kind of look at them real quick. So when you go to receiver rating, this is a metric, like I said, just like with the tight end position, I hold it very high in regard. Um, when you go to receiver rating, this is sorted across the rest of the league. I did a minimum of 50 targets, okay, to kind of, okay, where do they sit wide receiver-wise? Minimum 50 targets. Dontavian Wicks has had 51 targets, right? Jaden Reed has had 82 targets. Where do they sit receiver rating-wise? And if they fall in the top 32, then you go, hmm, these seem like number one caliber receivers. Jaden Reed falls 17th in the league at 106.4. Dontavian Wicks is sitting in 18th spot at 103.3. So you're talking about the number 17 and number 18 wide receiver according to receiver rating in SIS data. Guys, we got what we've got in the making here. If they continue, if they continue to progress, and there's no reason to believe they won't, you've got two number one receivers. And guess what? They're on rookie contracts. Meaning you don't even have to give them a contract. They can't, they're not even eligible to get an extension for two years. That's a, a something that was baked into the CBA. Most likely they won't get a new contract until year four. And we're going to talk about the salary cap hits if we uh if we have time at the end of the show. But just wanted to point that out. Receiver rating wise, Jaden Reed and Dontavian Wicks, man, turning heads. Now people are going, what does PFF say, Clayton? Let's check it out. So when you go to the PFF grades. This is a little bit larger screen grab, and I did it for a reason. You know, I talked about in the offseason going in, and we were talking about, all right, what's the needs of the team? I said we don't have a true number one wide receiver on this team. And I was going off of PFF grades and, and other analytics and going, you know what? Romeo Dobbs is a really good number two receiver. Christian Watson could potentially be a number one receiver. But it was it was such a small sample size battling the injuries that I didn't feel comfortable saying, yep, he's a number one. So essentially what we went into the offseason saying is we don't we still don't have a true number one receiver. We got two really good number two receivers. And what I mean by that is anyone who grades anywhere from, you know, 33 to 64, in my opinion, is considered a number two receiver. That's just kind of the way I look at it, whether it's PFF, receiver rating, whatever analytic you want to look at. So when you look at it from that angle, you come into the season with two solid number twos. It's like we still need a number one receiver. Now, is it at the top of the priority list? Absolutely not. Bill Walsh 101, wide receiver is the last piece you put into place. Brian Gutekunst trained under Ted Thompson. Ted Thompson trained under Ron Wolf. Ron Wolf is the epitome of a general manager in a West Coast offense-based team organization, right? So they look at it from that standpoint. Now, what is the media and the uproar, and, and some of the fans too, every offseason? Why have we never drafted a wide receiver in the first round? Because Bill Walsh, Famous quote, wide receiver is the last piece you put in place. They went and drafted Reggie or uh, Jerry Rice after they had everything else in place. Michael Lombardi talks about it in his book, uh, Gridiron Genius. So Bill Walsh said, okay, everything's in place. We've got Charles Haley. We've got our pass rusher. we got we got everything across the board. we got our safety and Ronnie Lott. All these pieces are in place. Let's go get a wide receiver. And they draft Jerry Rice. So – it may not have happened exactly in that order, but essentially that was the message that Michael Lombardi was conveying was Bill Walsh firmly believed that. It's obvious the, the Packers front office believes the same thing. So that's how you're getting these second-round swings on wide receivers, your fourth-round swings, your fifth-round swings. And lo and behold, you're hitting. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. 
That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you look at PFF and how the wide receivers grayed out, the first Packers wide receiver comes in in the 29 spot at 76.6. Guess who it is? Dontavian Wicks. So, so PFF is suggesting he is a starting caliber wide receiver, a number one wide receiver. And this is grades compared across the rest of the league, right? That's why it's important to kind of take that into consideration. This isn't just a, okay, we think he's good on the Packers. This is how does he stack up against the rest of the league? 76.6. Where's the next one at? It's Jaden Reed at number 36. What does that suggest from PFF? That he is a really good, a very good number two wide receiver. Now, he just broke the rookie record, right? Pretty cool stuff. All he's going to do is get better from here if he keeps his head down, right, and he doesn't let it get to him. He seems like one of the most humble guys in the locker room, he being Jaden Reed. So does Dontavian Wicks, but Jaden Reed comes across like, remember when the offense was struggling earlier in the year and he called the meeting at his locker? He basically got all the receivers together. Leadership isn't appointed. Sometimes it's taken. Most of the time it's taken. True leaders will step up and they won't lead by, hey guys, look at me, I'm the best. They leave like, hey, let me make the effort to get our team together how do we fix this? I want to be a part of the solution. I'll tell you what he didn't do. He didn't stand in the back of the locker room and say, put me on defense, I'll fix the defense. You understand that if Jaden Reed had said that, that would have been the equivalent to what Jair said earlier in the year, put me on offense. And he made the comment that, you know, I guess we need to hold teams to zero points because the offense was struggling. People forget those comments. Jaden Reed taking the totally different approach. Um, 
So Jaden Reed comes at 36. If you slide down to the 52 spot, what do you got? You got Romeo Dobbs at 52. What's that suggest? He's a really good number two wide receiver. In the number 53 spot, Christian Watson, 69.1. That suggests he's a really good number two receiver, kind of a middle-of-the-pack number two receiver. So essentially what you've got there, if you wanted to go with 10 personnel, you, you're going to be putting two receivers that are grading out as number two receivers, number two quality receivers, on number three and number four cornerbacks on a team's roster. Because when you go 10 personnel, one running back, no tight ends, I'm not suggesting we do that. I love Tucker Craft. I'm really excited about 12 personnel with Tucker Craft and Luke Musgrave being on the field together. But what it says is you can create a real mismatch problem. Pause. What did Emilio talk about last night? He seen a quad look last night, didn't he? A quad look is most of the time it's indicative. I immediately went, was it 11 personnel? Like I want to know, was it 10 or 11 personnel? Because sometimes when you go with quad looks, there's very few quad looks that are set up that don't include four wide receivers on the field. Now, I'm not saying we should go Mike McCarthy four wide receiver spread. Okay, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just simply saying you want to create a quick mismatch. Imagine Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson on a number three and a number four corner. And some of you guys are going, I, well, I disagree. I would put my number one corner, my number one corner on those two guys and let your number three cover the young guys. Hey, bring it on. Imagine a number three corner on Jaden Reed trying to cover him in a man situation. Like these are the things that matter. Essentially what I'm trying to say is the receiver room, it's early. We know, guys, it, this this could all go away as quick as it showed up. We've always got to add that caveat. I, I firmly believe it's not going to happen. But our receiving room has been overhauled in two years, right? We've seen the growing pains last year. The receiving room led the league in drops. This year they're like 15th, so huge improvement. And it's mainly because of these two rookies. These two rookies, I mean, they have – Dontavian Wicks and Jaden Reed have completely flipped the wide receiver room. It's, it is really, really cool to see how quickly they did that. So we're going to continue to dive into the SIS data next, all right? We're going to get into kind of some of the specific numbers, the total targets, the receiving yards, the total points earned, all that stuff. Before we do, if you guys would, hit that like button for us so other Packer fans can find this channel, find this content. We appreciate y'all hanging out with us. I do want to say that Packers Total Access is sponsored by BetUS. They are the official sports book of Packers Total Access Live. BetUS has been in business for uh, over 30 years now. Um, they've been around since 1994. We appreciate them jumping on board. If you want to support the stream and you say, hey, Clayton, I'd like to put a little action on the game, click on the link in the description of this video. That will send you directly to BetUS, and you can register there for free using that link, and it lets BetUS know that Packers Total Access Live sent you to BetUS. Doesn't cost a dime to register as a customer, and that would help the show. And then if you want to place a bet, awesome. Uh, just as always, guys, Make sure you gamble responsibly. Don't bet a single dime that you can't afford to lose. Um, there's a lot of people that gambling, uh, uh, you know, gambling addiction grabs a hold of. That's the last thing we want to see happen to anyone who listens to this show. Make sure you gamble responsibly. Okay. Um, also, want to mention the green line real quick. This is very, very early. Okay. But PFF put their green line out. Looks like the market right now is sitting at the Packers are three point favorites at home against the Bears. What do we always say? The home team typically gets three points, right, that home field advantage. That shows you how close this game could grade out. Now, let's back up. Last week, you know, you guys heard me say I really liked the Packers plus one against the Vikings. Just felt like the matchup where they showed an even, a pretty even amount of middle field open, middle field close. They liked the blitz a lot. 
Jordan Love carves the blitz apart. You've seen it all day long. Uh, Jordan Love had arguably the best game of his young career, throwing three touchdowns, no interceptions. You could see the matchup all over the board, right? So this week, the Packers are minus three. I got to be real. I don't feel real good about that number, okay? Now, I'm not suggesting that the Packers are going to lose this game. I think any given Sunday when you get a division rival like this, this is the, the Bears Super Bowl right here. Granted, it's the Packers Super Bowl, too. We've been in the playoffs for three weeks now. That's what's really cool about the end of this season. All any of us could have asked for was let's, you know, let's have the Packers playing meaningful football in December and January. And we got it. We're playing with the house's money now. But Chicago is going to want to go out there and embarrass them in front of their home crowd. Remember the last time we played the Bears? We played in Soldier Field, and David Bakhtiari was flipping the crowd off and laying on the sideline and waving at them. Lucas Van Ness was was slinging Justin Fields on the sideline like a ragdoll. We absolutely embarrassed them in front of their home crowd. Don't think for a second the Bears ain't going to want to do that to us. But just wanted to mention the line there real quick. Also, the PFF grades in the lower right. There'll be a better time to do this later to go more in depth. Jordan Love now grading out as an 81.3. Justin Fields at a 75.1. I know a lot of people like to dog on Justin Fields. He has improved, according to PFF, every single year. He's getting better. I know some people refuse to look at that. They just want to cherry-pick certain stats and look, Justin Fields is hot garbage. He has played like hot garbage this year, but he's also played good. And I think it's like six six of his last seven games, he showed steady improvement. There was one stinker in there where he graded out like in the 40s. But that's your quarterback matchup. And the quarterback matchup really – that and the head coaching matchup, your coordinator matchups, really drive the point spread. And, again, the Packers are three-point favorites at home, which to me is as close to a push as you're going to get, seeing that you usually get those three points at home. But again, just want to thank BetUS, the official sports book of Packers Total Access Live. Been in business now for 30 years, America's favorite sports book. Appreciate them coming on board with us. Now, let's move on to some of the SIS data. Uh, let's go to total targets, first of all. Okay, let's kind of look at this is now forget nationally, forget across the league. We're going to now dive into this is just Packer numbers. Okay. Let's compare apples to apples in our wide receiver slash tight end room. All right. So when you go to targets, Romeo Dobbs leads the team in targets with 95 targets. Okay. So put that on the list there. 95. Jaden Reed at 90. To show you how much confidence Jordan Love has in Jaden Reed. I mean, he's he's almost targeted him more than Romeo Dobbs. And I think we would all agree he's been on the field more than Romeo Dobbs. Romeo Dobbs has stayed relatively healthy. Third is Christian Watson. Some people are going, how in the world? Christian Watson's missed a ton of time. Guys, when I watched the tape, I wasn't one of those people trying to dog on Christian Watson. What I kept saying over and over and over every week was, Jordan is forcing the ball to Christian Watson. you got to stop doing that. It, it's easy to look out there and go, man, that dude's six foot five. Let's just chuck it up to him. And then you're slightly off inaccurate. The ball gets tipped, it's picked off in the end zone. You lose in Pittsburgh, right? That type of stuff happens. The last thing we want is our quarterback trying to force the ball to one receiver. And to me, it was just as much on Jordan with his inaccuracy and his bad decision as it was Christian Watson not performing. There's enough blame to go around, right? But you look at the completion percentage in those top three receivers, right? 62.1% to Romeo Dobbs. Jaden Reed, five less targets, 66.7%. And then look at the completion percentage to Christian Watson, 52.8%. Now, people go, well, Christian Watson dropped the ball a lot. You guys remember me arguing over and over and over with listeners going, that's not a drop. Just because it touches a receiver's hands doesn't mean it's a drop. If it touches his hands and the defender punches it out, that's not a drop. That's a good play by the defense. If he barely gets one hand on it, people go, well, he should have caught it. 
I understand you want to coach a receiver room strict, right? And you want to, you want to get the best out of the players possible. But from a fan standpoint, I'm not going to put unrealistic expectations on somebody just because he's six foot four or six foot five and and runs like a gazelle. The ball has to be thrown better. Decisions had to be made better. So when you look at the drop percentage, Romeo Dobbs, 4.1%. Jaden Reed, 4.2%. People are going, man, what's Christian Watson? Is it like 6 7%? No, it's 2.7%. He didn't have a drop issue. It was just Jordan Love hadn't hit his stride yet. So when we get Christian Watson back, think about the last two games we got Christian Watson back. What did he do? He absolutely balled out. Do you think that's because Christian Watson all of a sudden remembered how to play football? No, it's because Jordan Love progressed through that time that he was out with an injury. So I'm excited to get him back. I just don't want to see him forcing the ball to him. Dontavian Wicks coming in with targets um, at 51, okay, 51 targets. And uh, his drop percentage is – you see the weak spot there, 9.8%. Imagine if he hadn't had those drops, what his PFF grade, grade would be. He, he might be flirting with top 10 in the league because those drops really hurt your PFF grade. So something to consider there. Uh, 45 targets for Luke Musgrave, 38 targets for Tucker Craft, 38 targets for Aaron Jones. The big thing that no one's talking about this year, Aaron Jones had a phenomenal game last week, right? You heard Chris Collinsworth on the broadcast. Usually I don't listen to the TV broadcast, but being there with family, we had it turned up. He said, yeah, you, you just haven't seen Aaron Jones get involved with the passing game. You want to know why? Look at his drop percentage. This year he's dropped 20.6% of the passes thrown to him. Kudos to Matt LaFleur for going away from Aaron Jones in the passing game and utilizing his, his players downfield, right? Another reason that that drop percentage could be skewed a little bit is how late the ball was getting to Aaron Jones in the flats, in the swings, in the T-lead swings, those different plays that we've broken down in Chalk Talk. If you get that ball to him late, you know, their eyes, when you're running a flat or a shoot route, which is just basically a diagonal straight, straight, you know, shot to the sideline. The longer you wait to throw that shoot route, that running back's thinking that corner or that safety or that backer, whether it's a Will or a Sam, they're creeping up on me, get the ball to me, and you start to take your eyes upfield. Who wouldn't? I wouldn't want to get hit by a 240-pound linebacker blindsided because the throw was late. You've seen that early. Aaron Jones's injuries affected here recently how much he's been in the lineup and how many targets he's gotten, you know, in the passing game. I think that's played a lot with the drop percentage too. It's a drop if it hits you in the hands and the defender doesn't touch it, right? And it's kind of on target, if you will. But sometimes you turn your eyes upfield if the ball's coming out late in the read. Jordan has done excellent processing the information at the line, pre-snap, post-snap, and getting to the right answer to the solution to the equation quicker, and that's going to help with the drops as well. A.J. Dillon, 28 targets. Malik Heath, 20 targets. Samori Torre, 18, Bo Melton, 17, Patrick Taylor, 17, and on. So just wanted to kind of mention globally the target right there, okay, the target, uh, the overall targets for the season. Now let's go to receiving yards. Receiving yards, Jaden Reed leads the way. Let me drop my logo down here real quick. Uh, he leads the way with 681 yards. Romeo Dobbs, 674. Dontavian Wicks, 519. Christian Watson still at 422. That's pretty wild that he has missed so much time and he's still fourth on the team in yardage. Luke Musgrave, 341. Tucker Craft, 324. I'm so excited to get both those guys on the field at the same time. A.J. Dillon, 223 uh, receiving yards. Aaron Jones, 203 receiving yards. Bo Melton, 156. Malik Heath, 116. And then it kind of dwindles off there. So there is your passing yards. So, again, Jaden Reed leading the way. Dobbs second. Wicks third. Christian Watson fourth. When you go to the next metric, let's get into some of the SIS data, okay? 
Total points earned. You guys know I briefly mentioned before that they add points to every play, right? Whether it's a positive or a negative, you're going to take points away. You're going to add points to it. We won't get into all the details, but total points earned. If I were to pull up the glossary real quick for SIS and we go to total points earned, let's see if it's even on here. I don't know if it's on this list. Probably won't be. So total points earned, like I said, it's just simply adding points for positive plays and deducting points for negative plays. Okay. So when you look at the total points earned on the team across, and this is something that the 33rd team holds in high regard. Basically it's saying here are the players that have made the most positive plays for you throughout the season is essentially what it is. Okay. Jaden Reed, 13.3 points earned on the season. So that's in the positive. Notice the 33rd team holds SIS data and points earned in high regards. Why is that? It's one of the closest ways or metrics, I should say, to how NFL head coaches actually grade their their uh, grade their team, grade their players. You know, you ever heard the old Lombardi uh, thing? Uh, I remember the video. Trying to think, the year before the Ice Bowl, the Packers went down to Dallas in the Cotton Bowl and they beat the Dallas Cowboys. The very final play of the game. Dandy Don Meredith, the quarterback for, uh, you know, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, he rolls right. And hearing him tell the story was hilarious. He said, I snapped the ball, I rolled right, had a guy in my face immediately, and I just hit the guy who was open. The guy who was open was a Packers defender, right? There's many times that plays like that happen, like with Dave Robinson. He actually bailed on his assignment and made that play. I can't remember if he put the pressure on Don or if he intercepted the pass, but nonetheless, he's got a famous quote where he said, yeah, awesome play, play of my career, right? Huge game, stepped up big, went into the film room the next day. Guess what Lombardi gave him? A negative two (laughs) because it wasn't his assignment, right? So when you talk about points earned, this is kind of in in that vein, if you will, all right? So kind of gives you an idea of which players have stepped up the most over the course of the season. Jaden Reed leads the pack at 13.3. Number two, Dontavian Wicks, 9.6. Number three, Christian Watson, 9.2. You're going, whoa, whoa, how is he third? That's what I'm talking about. Even missing that time, Christian Watson did some amazing things this year. It's just at the time that he struggled, a portion of the fan base wanted someone to throw under the bus, and Christian Watson's the one they chose. So it is what it is. Number four, look at this, Tucker Kraft, 9.1. Romeo Dobbs at number five, 8.6. A.J. Dillon at 8.1. And uh, Bo Melton at 4.1. Okay? So just to kind of give you an idea, look look at Luke Musgrave, 2.2, right? But you're like, well, Clayton, he had a good receiver rate. That's why all the metrics matter. Didn't make a whole lot of explosive plays, did he? Tucker Craft has. Tucker Craft has had a bigger impact. So if you were to look at this and go, okay, this is your depth chart. Tell me if you would agree or disagree with it. Number one on the depth chart, Jaden Reed. Number two, Dontavian Wicks. Number three, Christian Watson. Number four, Tucker Kraft. So when you're 11 personnel on the field, you would have Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks, Christian Watson, and Tucker Kraft. Some people are going, you will put Romeo Dobbs on the bench? I'm not suggesting that. And thank God we don't have to make that decision because there's such a heavy rotation in the wide receiver room on game day for the Packers. Uh, kind of makes that a non-issue, right? Rather than these are the same guys that are going out every single play. How cool is it, though, that you got Romeo Dobbs technically from a points earned standpoint, according to SIS, you got Romeo Dobbs as your fourth best receiving option. What's that suggest? You've got a young, cheap, very deep receiving room. It's pretty freaking awesome, man. 
pretty awesome. Let's move on to points above average. Okay, let's pull up the glossary for this. What's points above average? So when you go to points above average, the total of players' EPA responsibility. People went, what's EPA, Clayton? It's expected points added, okay? it's it's They, they grade it from a range that I've heard people say different ranges. I'm not going to get into the details there. It doesn't factor in the specifics of the play, okay? This is why people are going, well, why don't we just follow this data over everything else? Because it does, it does not tell the whole story, but it is important. That's why it's important to cover it from different angles. For instance, you could have a 99-yard pick six on a – on a quarterback, and that would get you the most negative grade possible. But what if the quarterback threw a perfectly accurate pass to a perfectly open receiver, it hits him in the chest plate, bounces up in the air, a DB picks it off and takes it for six? PFF would not grade that as a negative grade for the quarterback, right? A coach definitely wouldn't go into the room and go, that's a negative two. He'd probably give him a plus two. The quarterback did everything correct on that play, but it's a pick six the other way. On expected points added, that would be considered the worst grade you could possibly get on expected points added. Some people, when I when I reached out to SIS, they su- suggested it would be a negative 14 on that play. Now, I don't know how accurate that is to how everyone grades it, but I don't want to get too far in the weeds there. Essentially, what expected points added is, is not all plays are equal in value. It could be a, you know, that you get, there'd be a less, less of a, a positive or a negative for a play that had little impact on the game, essentially is what it comes down to. So when you go to points above average, all right, what was the points above average? The total of a player's EPA responsibility on targets using the total points system that, dis, dis, that distributes credit among all players on the field for a given play. For receivers, this includes accounting for offensive line play, off-target passes, drop passes, and broken tackles. So it's kind of adjustment and taking other factors into consideration. Okay, so points above average on the team. Who leads the way? Guess who it is? Jaden Reed at the very top. Let me drop that down one more time. I want to give you the exact number. Jaden Reed at 5.70. Number two, Dontavian Wicks, 4.26. Number three, Tucker Craft. Points above average, Tucker Craft is third on the team at 3.94. Number four, A.J. Dillon. Put some respect on his name. 3.83. 3.83. Christian Watson at number five, 3.76. Bo Melton in the number six spot at 3.04. Josiah DeGuara um, in the number seven spot at 1.43. Ben Sims, 0.46. You're going, Clayton, why are you going this low? I'm going to tell you why in a minute. 0.40 for Emmanuel Wilson. 0.06 for Henry Pearson. Negative 0.06, I should say. Negative 0.71 for James Robinson. Negative 1.69 for Malik Heath. Negative 1.99 for Romeo Dobbs. Points above average. So it's one metric. Not trying to spark fear in anyone. I'm just simply saying you want to know why Romeo Dobbs is great now a little lower. When you talk about specific situations, he's not performed near as well as Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks, and Tucker Craft, and Christian Watson as well. That's not the dog on Rome. I love Rome. Watching Romeo and Aaron Jones interact. Earlier in the season, remember when Dontavian Wicks had a drop, Aaron Jones caught him with his head down, coming off the field, grabbed his face mask, lifted lifted his head up, made sure he, like, keep your head up, dude. Don't get down on yourself. Then they went over to the sideline. Aaron Jones put his arm around him. Guess who walked over and put his arm around him too? Romeo Dobbs. Don't take these numbers as, ah, Romeo Dobbs is a bum. This is one metric, but we try to cover all the bases. The whole point of this is when you come out of all this, the PFF grades, all the advanced metrics, all this stuff from SIS, 
Don't focus on, well, crap, maybe Romeo Dobbs isn't as good as we thought he was. Focus on the fact that Jaden Reed and Dontavian Wicks and Tucker Craft are like, whoa, if they keep this up, they're special. This is a special core group. Let's go to receiver rating. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Receiver rating, okay, on the Packers, Tucker Craft still leads the way at 116.6. As good as Jaden Reed has been and nominated for Rookie of the Week over and over and over this year, Tucker Kraft's having a better year than, than him efficiency-wise. How cool is that? Now, you've got to take into consideration the the uh, the number of targets, right? Tucker Kraft's only been targeted 38 times. Jaden Reed's been targeted 90. So if you were to triple Tucker Kraft's numbers, I would not be surprised one bit if Jaden Reed leapfrogs him and leapfrog, leapfrogs him significantly. But the fact that he's had 90 targets and his receiver rating is 114.2 Jaden Reed, phenomenal. But again, where is Luke Musgrave on this list? He's sixth. It's not the dog Musgrave. 102.2 is still good. That's a really good receiver rating, right? But look at Tucker Craft. Tucker Craft is tied in number one on this team, guys, until he proves otherwise. He may slump out and never play at this level again. But, man, what I don't want to see happen is Luke Musgrave get healthy, and then all of a sudden they pop him up above the depth chart of Tucker Craft, and this offense takes a step back. Because Tucker Craft's just – He's maximizing every opportunity he gets, man. So Tucker Craft comes in first at 116.6. This is receiver rating. The tight end has got a higher receiver rating than every other wide receiver on the team. Jaden Reed, 114.2. Bo Melton, 113.8. Ben Sims, 111.8. Listen, I hate it for Josiah Aguara. He's down there at 100.5, but he's only had eight targets. I know Ben Sims only had six. Josiah DeGuar is probably not getting re-signed unless it's going to be a minimum contract, and you've got to try to keep Ben Sims on this roster, man. He's maximized his opportunity, albeit limited amount. He's blocked pretty decent, I felt like, too. His PFF grade, if I remember correctly, wasn't that bad. So, Bo Melton, only 17 targets. you got to take that into consideration, but he comes in third at 113.8. Like I said, Ben Sims, 111.8. Dontavian Wicks, 103.3. Why did he drop to fifth? Remember the drop percentage? 9.8 drop percentage. Ben Sims still doesn't have a drop either, by the way. Pretty cool stuff. So just to just to kind of put that stuff into perspective there, Luke Musgrave, 102.2. That's how the wide receiver room falls. Now, look at Aaron Jones at the bottom. 38. 38 targets, right? What's his receiver rating? 87.9. Why is that? The drop percentage, 20.6. Trying to cover all the bases here. Go all the way down the 14 spot, Christian Watson, right? 71.4 receiver rating. People would see that and go, Christian Watson's a bum. Okay, what's his drop percentage? 2.7%. Huh. Well, what what in the world 
makes his numbers drop that much. I'm going to give you a tip. Go back to the top of the list. Tucker Craft, on-target catch percentage. The passes that were thrown on target, his catch percentage, 92.8 or 92.6%. Jaden Reed, 87.3%. Bo Melton, 91.7%. Christian Watson, 80.6%. That's that's the outlier in my opinion. Now, yards per target, getting eight yards per target, that's what, third best on the team, right? If I'm looking at that correctly, fourth best maybe, right around there, yeah. So he hasn't been able to stretch the field as much this year, but look at his first down percentage. Again, he only got 53 targets because of the injuries, but his first down percentage, 71.4%. The one that really blows your mind is look at Bo Melton's on the first down percentage. When you need a first down, don't get me wrong, Dontavian Wicks is great at it too with an 81.8, but Bo Melton with only 17 targets, now he's on the active roster, 90.9% of the time that dude's getting a first down. That is wild. Dontavian Wicks' number is just amazing with 51 targets and 81.8%. You know, Jaden Reed's is only at 48.3%. It just seems like Jaden Reed always finds a freaking end zone, man. It's wild. So wanted to hit that. Now let's talk about boom percentage real quick as we come down the come down the stretch here. What is boom and what is bust? Okay. Boom is you get at least a plus one grade, and that's considered according to SIS as a very successful play. At least a plus one grade on a play, that's considered a boom play. And then you take that over the total number of plays, and you say, okay, that's the percentage of boom and bust plays. Bust is at least a negative one, which means a very unsuccessful play. Okay? So when you take all that in consideration and we go to the boom percentage, who leads the team? Bo Melton. Isn't it wild they just signed him to the active roster so no one else could have him? And the boom percentage is so high. It's almost as if the coaches use this same data. I'm not saying they do, but the former coaches, executives, players of 33rd team uses it as their like backbone of the information on their website, right? So maybe there's something to that. Just saying. Bo Melton leads the way at 41.2%. He's tied with Dontavian Wicks, 41.2%. They have the most, the highest boom percentage. They have the highest percentage of plays based off their targets that grade out to at least a plus one according to SIS. Malik Heath comes in third at 30% even. A.J. Dillon comes in fourth at 28.6%. Luke Musgrave comes in fifth at 26.7%. So now you're seeing that's why he was high in regard, right? A higher boom percentage. Christian Watson, 26.4. Then Tucker Craft at 26.3. So we just talked about Tucker Craft and how you know his numbers look so great. Receiver rating, no drops, this and that. What did we say he does well, though? He catches the ball underneath, okay, turns up field, makes a couple guys miss, runs over someone, and just gets positive yards. That's why he's probably not grading out as a plus one more consistently as some of the other players, right? Jaden Reed, 25.6%. Jaden just takes what they give him. Jaden's just so savvy, and, and he's been available, man. He's fought through injuries. You got Romeo Dobbs coming in ninth at 25.3%. Now, some people are going, what about the bust, Clayton? Let's see who's busted. Bust percentage, <clears throat> James Robinson, one target, 100% bust rate. <laughs> so we can kind of throw that one out. What's the other one? Christian Watson, 53 targets, 24.5 bust percentage. Again, when I look at that, this is a result-driven analytic, okay, a stat that's based off of result. Remember what I said about the pick six, the ball getting tipped up? That would be That would be a negative EPA for that quarterback on that specific play. 
Remember early in the year when Christian Watson was healthy, what was happening? The balls were being thrown behind him. They were off target. They were late getting to him. All those things that comes into factor. So the high bus or the low bus percent or high bus percentage, I should say, for Christian Watson, to me, that's why it is the way it is. is does it tell the whole story? No, probably somewhere in the middle, right? If you if you had him on the field with Christian Watson, if he was healthy on the field with Christian Watson during this hot streak since week 12 where Christian or where uh, I'm sorry, Jordan Love, where Jordan Love is grading out since week 12 as the highest graded quarterback in the entire National Football League. I would say Christian Watson, I would not be surprised if that was cut in half and dropped down to around 12 percent. That's just my guess based off of the film study that we've seen early in the year. What I'm saying is don't give up on Christian Watson. This is a different quarterback that's going to be throwing him the ball now than was throwing him the first seven weeks of the season because Jordan was really struggling. So um, next is Samori Torre, 22.2%. They just put him on IR. I don't know if that was so much about the injury as it was, okay, there's no spot for him on the roster now. Uh, Bo Melton, uh, 17.6%. So as much as you get the booming fact uh, and and the, the positive numbers that we showed on Bo Melton, you're also getting a high bust rate, right? Bust percentage of 17.6. Dontavian Wicks, 15.7%. Why is that, Clayton? Remember what we talked about the drops? Can't remember what the drop percentage is. It's not on this page here that I screenshot it, but his drops were significant. Remember, it's like what eight percent, I think. One of the one of the highest drop percentages on the team. Now, Tavian Wicks is one of those guys. He's either going to hit you a home run or he's going to drop the ball, right? And that may that may be why he fell. What's crazy is even with all those drops, he's still grading out as a true number one receiver. That's really exciting. You get that stuff cleaned up like we have a Romeo Dobbs last year, and the sky's the limit. Because I'm telling you, Dontavian Wicks is a machine at running routes. Uh, sixth in bus percentage is Jaden Reed at 15.6, Romeo Dobbs at seven at 14.7. So it shows you, Dobby's not Romeo Dobbs is not busting near as much as you think he is based off his grade. He doesn't do things extremely great. He doesn't do things really bad. He's just kind of steady Eddie, and maybe that's why the the uh, the coaching staff wants to continue to keep him in that number one receiving spot and who can fault him for it. Uh, Patrick Taylor, 11.8%. Luke Musgrave, 11.1%. If you go all the way to the bottom, Josiah DeGuara, unfortunately, has a 0% bust rate. And I say unfortunately because he can't really get on the field. It's because his blocking has been so bad, man. He's caught every pass that's thrown to him. To the best of my knowledge, he doesn't have any drops. It's just it's hard to justify utilizing him in that role and just working him into a play where he's just going to catch the football. You know what I mean? That's, that's not how these tight ends play in the – Matt LaFleur system. Now, as far as bus percentage, Aaron Jones, 2.6%. Steady, man. Steady. He, he may not be able to hit you the home runs consistently. Hopefully, we're back to the old Aaron Jones that we've seen there in Minnesota uh, a couple nights ago, but he's still not, you know, hitting you with those negative plays. Malik Heath, 10%. That's a really good bus percentage number. And Tucker Craft at 10.5%. So, just want to run through those, the bus and the boom. We're trying to cover all the bases. Want to do a deep dive on the, the weaponry in the wide receiver tight end running back room. Kind of give you guys an idea of who's performing, who's underperforming, that type of thing. Now, here's the exciting part. Um, positional spending. All right. This is for 2024. There's no sense in, in harking on uh, 2023, right? The season's pretty much over. But when you go to 2024, right, positional spending, look at where they rank in the NFL. On defense, you've got 19 players returning. It's the NFL's – it's the fourth highest paid defense in the entire NFL. Okay? On offense, it's the 23rd highest paid offense. Think about that. Special teams, it's the 26th. 
You want, you want to know why the special teams continues to struggle? We're not putting any money in it. It's that simple. Quarterback. If you were to go look at, first of all, special teams, if you were to go look at like New England and some of these other teams that doesn't have a West Coast base, I guarantee you they're in the top, at least the top 15, maybe the top 10 in special team spending. They take it really, really serious. Uh, the problem is by doing that, you've got to remove something else from the roster, right? That cap's got to come from somewhere else. You can't spend it everywhere. So you're going to take a hit on defense or offense, prioritizing special teams. It's just not how Goody, it's not how Ted, it's not how Ron Wolf chose to build a roster. You know, everybody goes, well, well, what about Desmond Howard? He was good on special teams. He was. How, how many years was he here? Right? They kind of picked him up off the scrap. He, he blew up, and then they let him go because that's just kind of the, the West Coast-based – West Coast offense-based general manager's philosophy, their approach to building the team, to building the roster. All right, quarterbacks. Two players on the roster in 2024. We know who they are. It's Jordan Love and Sean Clifford. 27th. 27th in the league. We get the 27th highest-paid quarterback room. That is wild. There's, There's only, what, five teams that are spending less money than us in the quarterback spot. Cap dollars is 8.7 million. Running back. Um, 17.7 million. We've only got one running back returning on the roster, and that's Aaron Jones. Even with just that one player, it's third highest paid uh, running back room in the NFL. That's pretty wild. Now, of course, we know he's not going to play under that. Um, that's what's going to make things a little bit shaky with AJ Dillon trying to get him back in the building. We got to get that cap number for Aaron Jones to return. We got to get that cap number back down to somewhere between 10 and 12 million. If that happens, then obviously that rank changes. You give that money to A.J. Dillon, you draft another running back in the draft, or utilize the futures contract aspect to build in the roster and have a couple of Emmanuel Wilsons, Patrick Taylors, those type of guys uh, back on the team. You know, teams that the players that other teams aren't going to go after, essentially. Wide receiver room. Got six players returning. Six. We got a full wide receiver room as far as what you would make active on Sunday, whether you want to activate five or six on Sunday. 8.2 million. That's 30th in the league. There's only two other teams that's spending less money than us on the wide receiver room across the NFL. And I guarantee you, if we were to take the time to dig through and find those two teams, they're not fielding six six wide receivers. So the wide receiver room, guys, we just went through all the numbers, all the analytics. We're set. We don't have to do anything else in the wide receiver room. These guys are going to progress. They're going to get better. One may regress and two progress, right? That's, that's, that's how the games play. That's what happens in the NFL. So, Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks, Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, now Bo Melton potentially, if you can get him on some kind of futures contract for really, really cheap. Bro, wide receiver room set. What about tied in? We got three returning. We're paying $4 million, right at $4.1 million, okay? It's only 1.64% of the cap. That's 24th in the league. You just need to get you another backup tied in. Maybe it is Josiah Aguara. Maybe he is such a team leader, you let him test the market, he doesn't get any offers, you sign him to a veteran minimum. Maybe throw him a little bit of guaranteed and get him on a three-year deal where you're paying him you know, $1.2 million a year or something to have that veteran presence in there because we heard Tucker Craft talk about him. They absolutely love him. Another one, too, remember Tyler Davis blew his knee up early in the year? He's going to be back off of injured reserve. There's a chance he fills that fourth spot, fifth spot if you want to throw one on the practice squad. So uh, that's kind of how that shakes out. Offensive line. Uh, we've got nine offensive line linemen returning, $63 million. That's third uh, third most expensive offensive line in the entire National Football League. Okay, So 
Obviously, a big chunk of that is David Bakhtiari's $40 million cap hit. That will not be. It'll either be a $20 million dead cap hit and he won't be on the roster, or they'll adjust it to where we'll free up probably $8 million. Okay. But when it comes to the offensive line room, you, you got to take a swing in the draft and try to get this thing cleaned up. That's not my opinion. That's Mike Wall. Mike Wall said Elton Jenkins at left guard, Zach Tom at right tackle. Those are your only two definites on this offensive line. Every other position needs to be upgraded. So probably take a couple of swings in the draft, which we all know Goody typically does every every uh, spring anyway. Defensive line, five players coming back, $34.1 million. That's 18th highest paid defensive line in the league. Uh, linebacker. Eight linebackers returning. That does include edge defenders, so you got to kind of watch that number there. Um, you know, if you, if you got let's say four, let's say it's four and four, you got four edges, four inside linebackers. Your linebacking room set fifty seven point six million. That's fourth highest paid in the league, guys. When you look at our PFF grades in the linebacker room, we are not getting our money's worth at the inside linebacker spot. Not this year, anyway. Not this year. And hindsight's 2020. Devondre's been battling injuries. Quay, I want to be a believer, guys. I've got his autographed jersey hanging over here on the wall in the studio. Love the dude. Love everything he represents. Another 100-tackle season. But that's that's not everything that entails to play an inside linebacker, especially in a 34 defense. Maybe he's better suited for a 4-3, and maybe we bring another D.C. in that gets the most out of him. That could be the case. You know, I think Joe Barry's uh, showed her some of that blame, too, but when I turn on the tape and I see him, even even with the high tackles, high tackle numbers, him not fitting the run fit correctly, that's where he's struggling, and he's really struggling in pass coverage. Last year he was good in pass coverage, right? But he had a low run fit. It's like we're going into year three. If he still can't make the run fit work, we we got to keep swinging until we find an inside linebacker. That's a that's a position of tier two importance to me. D tackle, specifically a three tech D tackle. Inside linebacker, free safety. We've got bad free safety play, bad inside linebacker play, and the interior defensive line, specifically the three-tech, has been good at rushing the passer and absolutely horrendous at stopping the run. So all three of those positions could be upgraded, in my opinion, unless we're holding out faith that that Quay Walker is going to cut the corner, right, and uh, play that run fit better. And Devondre Campbell, a healthy Devondre Campbell, could be a huge improvement. Uh, secondary. Got seven guys returning on the roster. Of course, that includes safeties and corners. I think there's only one safety returning, so the rest are corners. So six corners, one safety, if I remember correctly. $38 million, that's 13th highest in the league. And then special teams, like I said, $2.1 million, only two quote-unquote special teamers returning, and uh, 26 highest pay. That actually might just be the punter and the kicker. And if that's the case, forget throw these special teams numbers out because I'm happy with our punter and kicker. I think Daniel Willen has done one hell of a job this year. All right. Specifically, back to the wide receiver and tight end cap hits. This is the exciting part. That was the whole point of showing that. I didn't plan on going through every position like we did, but here we are. Christian Watson leads the way. This is 2024. $2.5 million cap hit, only 1% of the cap, 25 years old. Jaden Reed, $1.6 million. That's not even, a, not even a percent of the cap, and he's 24 years old. Romeo Dobbs, $1.1 million, 0.46% of the cap. Samori Torre, $1 million, 0.40. Dontavian Wicks, 990000 Malik Heath, 918000 Some people are going, Clayton, where's Bo Melton? He's not under contract right now. I, I think in a perfect world, what they were wanting to do is try to keep him on the practice squad by the end of the year and try to work him into a futures deal where you could have him on a two-year deal next year coming in at a, at a minimum 
cost, but it didn't work out. Now he's going to get a chance to test free agency most likely. So we may only have Bo Melton for one more game. I hope that's not the case. I'd like to see him return because I think he's just a really cool story, and it's obvious that that uh, Coach LaFleur absolutely loves to do. So tight end room. Let's look at the tight end room. Spending a total of $4 million. Again, the receiver room, $8.2 million. It's only 3% of your cap. Tight end room, $4 million. And Luke Musgrave leading the way at $1.9 million, not even 1% of the cap. Tucker Craft, $1.2 million. That's 0.5% of the cap. And then Ben Sims, $915,000. The purpose of showing all this, guys, this receiver room is going to be the third, what I say, the fifth cheapest receiving room, third cheapest maybe. Can't remember the exact number. Let's see, positional spending. Let's go back real quick. Wide receiver, 30th. So, there's only two other teams that's got a cheaper wide receiver room. And then, of course, you've got, what, eight teams that have a cheaper tight end room. They've played this perfectly when it comes to the positional spending, especially, you know, at the wide receiver and tight end spot. Got to get the running back number down. We know that's up in the air big time when it comes to uh, when it comes to Aaron Jones's number, his cap number. But, uh, yeah, we'll see how it plays out. So we went through all the numbers broke down all of the statistics for the weapon room, right? The wide receivers, the tight ends, the running backs in the passing game kind of broke all that down. And then we looked at the numbers, the cap hit numbers. The future is very bright for Jordan Love from a target standpoint. Now the question is, I think we all agree Jordan Love's the guy, right? I haven't seen anybody say, I don't know, I'm still kind of you know wondering if he is. I think everyone pretty much believes he's the guy. So with that being said, how much do we pay him? That's going to be the big talking point now, right? We hit on it a little bit last night. We talked about, according to Spotrack, according to Spotrack, Jordan Love's contract should be somewhere around $42 million per year. It's a lot of money. Now, he's under contract next year. We don't really have to technically worry about it until after next year, and even then we can hit him with the franchise tag. I think we would all agree that's not negotiating good faith, and that's a good way to tick someone off. You don't believe me? Go ask Devontae Adams. That's how you lose really good players. Um, go to them now. Get the structure in place. You you can't you can't legally, according to CBA, the the latest CBA agreement, you can't get the contract in place until one calendar year after the previous contract extension. So you can't legally get it done until May, according to the CBA. But get it in place. Get it in place, and and when when May hits or June one. Hit him with that new contract. Let's let's get that started now because the longer you wait, if he continues the ball out, that price is only going to go up. And the sooner you go to him for that contract, right, the sooner you go to Jordan Love for that contract, you say, hey, we believe in you. You're the guy of the future. The chances of him taking a team-friendly deal go through the roof. I, how much, I don't know. Could you get him for $25 million per? I have a hard time believing that. Could you get him for $30 million per? Probably. Now that we're right back to square one with where we were with Aaron Rodgers. It's important to have a franchise quarterback, but you got a lot of cap room allocated to it, right? You do a longer term deal like we talked about with Pat Mahomes. I'm not suggesting they do a 10 year deal, but they did a 10 year deal where they've got all the flexibility in the world to move that cap around, convert convert uh, roster bonus and base salary to sign in bonus, kick it down the road, move it up, move it back, all that good stuff. Um, gives you a lot more flexibility to the longer term deal, but if you just go three year deal, man, it's gonna it's gonna really handcuff you when it comes to cap room. But 
think we'd all agree the most important thing to have on the team is a uh, is quarterback, right? It's outside of the head coach. Some would suggest quarterback's more important than head coach. I, maybe I'm just too old school, militaristic type approach that I feel like the leader of the of the the roster, the leader of the team, should be the head coach. Therefore, the most thought, the most money, everything should go into that guy. I know they don't get paid like quarterbacks. Don't get me wrong, but uh, we're at least at that level. But that's kind of how I see it. Everybody's throwing out some numbers in here in the chat. We'll get ready to wrap this thing up. Jen Wright says thirty-five million. I would be happy with that, Jen. I would for sure. Omer says fifty million. He getting or close to uh, bet on. He's he's earning it. That's for sure, Omer. Um, he said forty-five to fifty is his, is his bet. Jeff Silky said Aaron's last contract was insane. The opposite of team friendly. What's crazy there is uh, with Aaron Aaron Rodgers's contract. That was a I'm sorry, Aaron contract. It is what it is, whether you agree with it or not. That was them apologizing to him for drafting Jordan Love. That's the best way to apologize to any anybody is give them money, right? Um, I just – when they signed him to that deal, I'm like, guys, calm down. It's not that big of a deal. He's going to retire a Packer. He retires a Packer when he retires a ton of that money. Like if he had retired a Packer last year, we'd only have a $16 million dead cap yet. That's it. And then we're done. That was the best case scenario. In my opinion, and it's not the dog on him. You guys have heard me praise Goody. He's done an excellent job building this roster. And his draft class this year is going to be, I think it's going to be historic. The one that he just had, I think it's going to be historic. But you could not have played that Aaron Rodgers situation any worse. He couldn't have. If you thought Jordan Love was the guy, and then you should have moved on when San Francisco offered to sell the farm, right? You shouldn't have gave him that contract extension. To you basically you bought high and you sold low. We got a second round pick and a 40, $41 million cap penalty. That's what happened. Now, did we win the trade against the Jets? I think we would all agree, yeah, we won that trade. But that's there's no one on the face of the earth that's going to convince me that Goody did the right thing, given Aaron Rodgers a three-year, $150 million contract extension, not being able to capitalize on the optional aspects of that roster or that contract, which we've talked about at nauseum on this podcast, and then turn around and trade him and absorb a $41 million cap hit for a second-round pick. That's just not good business. You bought high, you sold low. So to say it's not team friendly, though, Jeff, here's the thing. He wanted to continue to set the quarterback market for other quarterbacks across the league, knowing I'm going to retire as a Packer and it won't hurt the Packers long term. It's going to be a $16 million cap penalty if I retire. Goody just, the second he went in that darkness retreat, what did Goody do? He started calling around and shopping him. That threw everything into turmoil. So I'm just glad that even the way that everything unfolded, it seems like both Brian Gutekunst and Aaron Rodgers are taking the mature approach. You hear Aaron Rodgers referring to uh, referring to the Packers as us. I love that. I don't know why the hell that would piss anybody off. Arguably the best thrower of the football in the history of the game, right? Arguably the best thrower of the football in the history of the game is still referring to our team as us and we. I think that's cool. I love Aaron. So you got disagreements. Hey, uh, I see uh, Emilio on here. Emilio, usually you hop on and chat with me after we go live. Shake your head if you want me to add you to the live stream right now. All right, just want to make sure, man, you ain't over there hitting a bong or anything. You know what I'm saying? No, no, I'm just joking. A little bit of diesel. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. All right, just a little diesel. Uh, It's funny, you get on here an hour and 10 minutes in where I'm ready to wrap up, and now I got to hang around for another five minutes. No, 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 we can still wrap up. We can still wrap up. I don't want to set the morning off. 
<laughs> did you uh i gotta hit it here uh, bates done keyed it up for us man we gotta oh, hit it cool. up my man bates in the chat simply said <laughs> before we go since you hopped on here emilio um what do you think about all that information that's a ton of information dude my my throat's hurting bro did yeah, you watch the whole I, thing <laughs> i caught i caught like the last 15 minutes gotcha. just just get getting it uh getting it queued up and everything but it just Love to see that. Uh, I mean, you, we knew that we were spending on the defensive side, but actually breaking it down like that is wild to actually see those numbers kind of in a chart like that. And we knew that we had the youngest, you know, and, and cheapest wide receiver room, but to see them, uh, you know, spread out and where we're heading with it, it kind of led right into what we were talking about last night with, with Love's contract is, you know, once we take that big chunk out, where are we going to be, um, you know, standing and how are we going to allocate this? Because, if they're all as good as we want them to be, they're all going to get paid. Um, yeah. It's just, are they going to all be on our team and get paid? Yeah, it's not going to happen, is it? You're probably going to have to pick two of them. It'll be my yeah. Um What's cool, though, is the two players that are that are grading out both, both through SIS metrics and PFF, the two players who are grading out as your number one and number two receiver, it's awesome. Those guys are rookies. Mm-hmm. So – your number three and your number four are the ones who will come up for a contract soonest. And if they're lower on the depth chart with lower numbers, guess what? It'll be easier to sign them, right? right. They're going to, you're going to go through that whole market value that we did with, uh, with Jordan Love last night across Spotrack. And that number is probably going to be three, four million a year for those mm-hmm. receivers, which is just dirt cheap. Right. So if, if I'm LaFleur and I'm Goody meeting up with Mark Murphy and sitting down and go, okay, what's the future of this team? I'm making it really, really clear from a from a cap standpoint. Now, LaFleur may disagree, but if I'm the general manager and I'm Mark Murphy or whoever's going to take over from Mark Murphy, I'm going, listen, Octavian Wicks and Jaden Reed need to get the majority of the looks because they're the ones providing the most explosive plays. They're the ones playing most consistent. They're the ones playing through injuries. And if they're better quicker than Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, then we don't have to shell out a huge contract for one year later, you know? Right. So, and so, and cool. to think about it like that, um, love spreading it out across all of them. Right. So it's not like one of them is going to get a majority of the targets, majority of the yards, majority of the touchdowns. So then, you know, no one's stats are actually like, you know, exponentially high or anything like that. So it, it's more of like a um, steady across gives you a better average. That way, you know, you're not trying to, feed the one mouth that's really hungry kind of thing you know you're, you're spreading the wealth and it's not as expensive um if you were to bite that one big bullet yeah for sure omer in the chat said watch goot take a quarterback in the first round again it not surprise me if he does listen i'm i'm telling you right now if there is a quarterback on the board when they pick or even within range to trade up that had a higher grade than jordan love coming out of college there's two drafts every year. This is Greg Cosell 101, and we'll wrap up. Every April, there are two drafts. There's an NFL draft where they draft every position, and then there's an NFL draft where they draft quarterbacks. Quarterbacks are always held in higher regard than every other position on the field. So if you've got a quarterback that's grading out in your current top tier of talent on your draft board, they're going to take him because it's a premier position. It's the maximum premier position of tier one importance, tier one of importance, they're going to take that quarterback. So 
you know, does that mean that that's the quarterback of the future? I don't know. I just know Aaron Rodgers, four-time MVP, first ballot Hall of Famer, best thrower of the football in the history of the game, was the starting quarterback when they drafted Brian Brom in the second round. So be ready. Brent mm-hmm. Ford was your starting quarterback, first ballot Hall of Famer, when they took right. Aaron Rodgers in the first round. <laughs> so Yeah, it's it's not saying that they would replace Jordan Love, but it would create competition. It would create a absolute stir in the in the fan base. And then down the line, if it if it's not going to work out, we'll just trade them off and you know get something out of it. But like you said, almost you know down to it, they would they would uh, trade you know trade or pick him up. Yeah, Drew in the chat says if Penix drops to us in the second round, that might be hard to pass on. I could see that. I could see that too. Just don't let's just let's try to hold those wolves at bay. Right. Whenever all the crazy irrational fans start screaming because we drafted a quarterback. <laughs> it's all part of the bigger plan, obviously. And if they hadn't drafted Jordan Love, we wouldn't have this late season push and a chance to make the playoffs, right? I mean, that dude's balling mm-hmm. out. So you just gotta kinda you know, it's not Madden. You can't turn injuries off. You never know what's gonna happen. Right. No, they'll take that first round wide receiver, right? Right. And listen, Sean Clifford, boys, what was his completion percentage the other night? Hundred percent. Was it? Yeah. Oh, that's right. He threw that bomb, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Which, which kind of made for a, a little bit of awkwardness at the end of the game, a little shoving, a little fighting. But hey, man, going to Minnesota, not not only kick the rear end, but cuff him in the back of the head on the way out. Mm-hmm. You know? Pull that uh that Stockton slap like our boy uh, God, what's his name from Stockton, the USC dude. Uh, God, it's escaping me. The two brothers. From Stockton, oh. California. Ah. Oh, I can't believe it. I can see his face. Come on. <laughs> Somebody in the chat, help me here. Who does the Stockton slap in the UFC? The Stockton slap. Been around forever. <laughs> I'm waiting on it. I ain't in this broadcast until somebody says it. Let me Google Stockton slap. I can't believe I can't think of his name. This is crazy. One of my favorite UFC fighters. Stockton but, That slap. is the way to handle uh, the, uh, the dome or Minneapolis, you know. Diaz brothers, there it is. Fern got yeah. it. <laughs> then Drew D said Don Mikowski. Oh no, he's talking about something else. <laughs> yeah, it's Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz, you got it, Fern. Appreciate you. Somebody else watches UFC in here. I love it. All right, I'm out of here. You got anything you want to add, Milio? You good? Bro? No, man. I appreciate no. you jumping on, though, man. You, you crushed it. My fault. I got on late. No, it's all good, dude. It's all good. I don't care to go solo again. Uh, I'll plan on it. If you guys hop on, then we'll just roll topics into tonight. You know, are you are you free tonight? You think? Yeah, yeah, should be good. All right. Well, we'll have you on with us tonight, man. Appreciate there you having me. What are we doing? Did was it chalk talk today, or is that that's that's the plan? I got to run into town here in a second. I'm going to get back, throw chalk talk together, and we'll do chalk talk tonight. That's Ooh. the plan. I'm going to make it happen. There's not a whole lot yeah. of plays. There's only like nine plays, but maybe we can really geek out on. So Ooh, I like it. Get, get the best a, one of the year, and there's not much to talk about. <laughs> I was going to say we haven't had a short one in a while that uh, we can really break into dive dive into it deep. I like it. Yeah, and to me, it's kind of a testament that we're we're in the right vein there because. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have bad games, whether it's a, a win but still a bad game like the Carolina game or you have a bad game like the New York Giants, mm-hmm. there's more to try to understand what went ha- what happened. Right. I could, I could tell you in five minutes what happened in Minnesota. We kicked the rear end. That was it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's not a whole lot to go, okay, here's what happened and why it happened. we got about nine of those plays. I feel comfortable saying, all right. Applies. I'm excited to see it. Yeah, it'll be fun. So, all right, we'll do that tonight. I just got to get busy and get that put together. So, appreciate everybody hanging out with us here in the chat. For those of you listening on the pod, thank you for making us a part of your day. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. And go, Pat, go. Go.